I'd like to welcome everyone to the services, services this morning. I'm very glad that we have such a full house. It's good to come together and worship, and I hope that for my part of the service, it's my prayer. I appreciate the prayer on my behalf, Ed, and it's my prayer also that the things that I would say would be edifying to you, that you would say that you could leave, you have left this place and you've been edified and are lifted up for the week to come, and, and as in this case, soon the new year to start. So uh, that's my prayer. I've been thinking about this subject for a long time, probably about, it's been on and off for about a year and a half that me and Emily and, and Carl and some other people have studied, and uh, I have a lot of stuff in my brain, and if you know me, my brain's not that big, so if I struggle a little bit, it's, it's because I've, it's, there's too much stuff up there, and like I said, there's, usually I just have two brain cells, and they're fighting, so... But if you would, if you want to turn to uh, the passage this morning, it's Roman, or Numbers chapter 20, verse 9 through 12, and that's what we're going to take our thoughts from this morning. And it's a story about Moses. And Moses and the children of Israel, they're, they're wandering in the wilderness. They had tried to take Canaan. They're back uh, wandering. God said that the first, all the first generations got to die off before they will be allowed into the promised land. And as usual, they're in the wilderness, and the children of Israel began to complain. Where's, did God bring us up out into this desert to let us die of thirst? All the same things that have always been. They, he wants us to starve. He's, you know, he wants, doesn't give us drink. He, he leads us into the wilderness, and they're complaining. And God hears their complaints, and he talks to Moses, and he, he tells Moses, go to the rock, and I want you to speak to the rock, you and Aaron, and the rock will bring forth the water that the children of Israel are wanting. Well, you can imagine... Moses' anger, as he's tried and tried to lead these people in God's way and what God wants them to do and what was the best for them, and he's very tired of their whining and their crying of every little instance in their life. They don't want to turn away from God, and they want to blame him for what's going on. And you can, say, you can tell he's very angry. And he walks to the water, and he says, uh, to the rock, and him and Aaron, and he says, here, you rebels, must we fetch you water? And he took his rod, and he smote the rock twice. And obviously, the water did come forward, as, as God had said, but there was a problem. He broke the commandment of what God intended for him to do. He told him to speak to the rock, not to hit it. And although he did speak to it, he smote the rock, and God called him aside afterwards, and he said, because of this reason, you will not enter in to the promised land. And we know how that story goes, that when they came, finally the, their wandering was over after the 40 years in the wilderness, and he led, Abraham, or led Moses up to the top of the mountain, and he said, you see everything there? That was going to belong to the children of Israel when they go in, but you're not going to get to go. And God and Moses had a very intimate relationship. You know, he stood on the top of Mount Sinai when the law was given. He parted the Red Sea he, through Moses. Moses led the children in everything that they did. He stood before Pharaoh and said, Let God's people go, or these things, the, 12, or the ten plagues are going to happen to you. He had a very special relationship. And when he died, God buried him. But that doesn't change the fact that Moses made a mistake, does it? And this story has always bothered me or, or made me feel sad or made me uh, just wonder, you know, out of all the life that Moses had, 
and all the good things that he did. He never got to see the promised land because of his infraction there at the rock. And you know, as I thought about that, I, thought, I know that Moses is in the arms of God. There's no ch- chance about that. And I'm not saying that Moses was lost, but there was a punishment that had to be dealt out and a consequence that had to be met because of his infraction of God's word. And that was he couldn't enter into the promised land. It didn't erase all the good he did, but to me, as we look at it, it shows humanity's inability to 100% follow what God has laid out for us. That's very evident in the Old Testament. They had the 630-something laws, whatever it was, 600-plus laws that God said, if you can keep these laws, you can be justified by your actions. That's why he laid those out there. But we saw that man couldn't keep that commandment, could he? So God had to send someone to pay that price. And that price was Jesus Christ. And that's why I bring that story up this morning because I think it very much explains in and of ourselves, we are not sufficient. Regardless of how smart we think we are, regardless of how wonderful we think we are, we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. We have to have God in our lives. And that's what I've titled the lesson this morning, Is It Enough? You know, I hear a lot of times, and I've actually had the thought, you know, I hope on the day if I know that I'm going to die and I'm laying in my hospital bed or I die of a heart attack in my sleep, which is the way I want to go, by the way. But if, if anybody's getting me that for Christmas, please do. That's what I want. Just don't tell me the date. But the fact is, you know, we, we, we have a limited amount of time, and we cannot be sufficient in and of ourselves. We need something. And that's what that story speaks to me. You know, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, before I get there, I want to finish the thought that that I derailed myself on, was the fact that uh, I hear a lot of times, is it enough? You know, I hope when I die that it is enough. I hope I've done enough. I hope I've spread the gospel enough. I hope I've visited the widows and the orphans enough. I hope I've kept myself pure and unspotted from the world. I hope it's enough. And the sad thing about that, brothers and sisters, it's not. Anything we do on this earth is not enough to merit our salvation. And I want that to be very clear this morning. But I also want to be very clear as we go through this. I'm not preaching Calvinism. I'm not preaching once saved, always saved. I'm preaching what I have found and learned from God's Word and how I believe that it fits in and how I'm going to try to fit it into this lesson this morning. We're not sufficient in and of ourselves. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right out of the box, that's what God says to mankind there in Romans. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, straight out. So he tells us right there that we are not sufficient. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, let's return over and read that. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, Wherefore, as one, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. See, that started way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit and they broke God's law not to eat of that tree. Sin entered into the world. The world became broken. And from that point on, mankind has needed something to bridge the gap between him and God. 
And that was Jesus, as we know in his gospel. But death has passed upon us all. See, that's the problem with sin. Sin requires a toll. God requires a toll in order for us to be separated from that sin and be reconciled to him. And under the old law, that was blood. And under the new law, that was the blood of his son. And we all face that. And the problem is we live in a society that teaches humanism, that teaches that man can be his own God, that he, he's the master of his own destiny, which is very much contrary to what God has to say. I believe it's in Psalms or Ecclesiastes that said it's not in man to, to direct his own footsteps. God says we're not able. Death passed upon us all because we have sin. And, you know, that's, that's the thing that I want to parallel with Moses's, Mo, Moses' life that we just talked about. He had all this life. He's listed in the book of, uh, in the chapter of faith. He was a great hero to what he did because he didn't want that job when he saw the burning bush. He didn't want that job. But God said, I want you to do that job. And he obeyed the call, and he did it. But he didn't want to. But all of that... I, pairs up with the example that I want to run across this morning. Imagine, if you will, we live to be 90 years old. We all know that this timeline is there. We know we've got 90 years. For the first 10, let's say that we weren't accountable yet because we were in innocence. We didn't know good from bad. But there's tons of time, let's say at 10 years old, that we obey the gospel. We are a child of God, and we live our entire life for the next 50 years and we visit all the widows, all the sick, all those that need our prayers, all of that. We live a perfect life. I mean perfect, by the law. We've never broken God's law. And long the, after, after about 40 or 50 years, we slip. And we do something that was not, that is contrary to God's law. And the penalty is, we deserve death. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. Isaiah 64 verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That's the reality of our lives. If we think that we are going to justify ourselves by our actions, by our works, by the things that we do, and we're somehow putting tally marks on the good side versus all the tally marks on the bad side, that's not the way this works. We are not enough. We are not sufficient without Christ. All our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. You know, I think of an old dirty, greasy rag that you've used when you're messing with hydraulic hoses or you're checking oil and it's just stained and it's filthy and you put it in the wash and it's still filthy. That's the equivalent to our righteousness in the presence of God. So we can't do it on our own. We need Christ. And if we're going to have Christ and we want that salvation, there's things that go along with our Christian walk that we must do. And that's where a lot of contention comes in. People say, well, these, you can't get to heaven on works. I agree. But God does require things of us. First of all, he requires faith 
in our life. Romans chapter 10, verses 17, tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if we're going to start out on this journey and we want to be reconciled with God, we have to realize we have to have faith. And how do we get that faith? We get that faith from reading God's Word, applying it in our lives, and dwelling in it, and that builds our faith. We also have a prayer life that we enter in and talk to our Father. And we have a great blessing when we are able to do that. But you know, that's, faith is something that's really easy to stand and say, I have faith. The difference is, is where's your faith when it comes time for the rubber to hit the road? That's where our faith really comes in. It's easy to have faith in good times, but faith, when things are falling apart around you, that's when the Word of God comforts us. That's when our faith becomes the strength that gets us through the day. We've all know of examples that have gone to this, that have been in this very congregation or that are, in, that are in this congregation today that the things that they did, we looked and we said, man, that is so amazing the way they handled this news or that news or how they handled situations in their life. And you know what that is, brothers and sisters? That's faith. Faith in God that he will do what he says faith in our brothers and sisters and what God has put before us and the ability to take care of it. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul's writing to Timothy, and in that verse he says, I know whom I have believed. He knows I believe in Jesus Christ. I know that. Lost my place there, excuse me. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded he didn't just say, well, I think God will do this. I hope it's enough. I'm really, really not sure. He said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep the thing which I've committed unto him, my soul, my faith, my whole desire, that he is able to keep that against the day of judgment. And when in doing so, that I will be a child of his. That's what that verse is entitling right there. That's what it's talking about. He says, I know whom I've believed. And you know, does that change the fact that uh, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners? No. Does it change the fact that he made the statement, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I should do, I don't do. All the things that we fight with as humans, that's okay, because we do fight. But he still said, I know whom I believe, because he put his faith in Jesus Christ. He put his faith in the Word. James chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. James chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. Talking about faith and, and, what, and how, it's supposed to get, how we're supposed to apply it. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Abraham had great faith. Abraham received a word from God that said, I want you to take your son, your only son, that I promised was going to make a great nation out of you, and I want you to take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to put him on the wood, and I want you to slay him, and I want you to burn him as a burnt offering to me. You want to talk about actions of faith. He loads up his son, he puts the wood on the, on the horse or the donkey, and they go up there. 
and he lays his son down and he draws back to sacrifice him and God says, Abraham, stop. I see that you're not going to withhold from me, that you have the faith in me and that you will follow me. Not that he was perfect, not that he didn't have some issues in his life, but his faith carried through in actions. And that's what I want to look. I want us to look at the standpoint, our faith in God that we believe in, in his word and the things that it does in our life, leads us to actions. Actions do not save us, but our faith leads us to actions, which is required by God. It's not the Calvinistic view where once you're saved, there's nothing you can do to, uh, to be lost. No, what I'm trying to say is, is our works do not save us, but the gospel blood of Jesus Christ does. Action. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. Romans chapter 6, chapter 10. Nope, wrong one. Romans chapter 6, 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. You know, when we have a faith in God and a faith in what, God, what his word has to say, that leads to actions. And that's what we, in Christ, we as Christians have to do. We have to have actions. And I like that term better than works. I mean, it's really, I guess, just because of the problem that people have in the, in the stigma sometimes that the church of Christ receives that, is that we think we can work our way to heaven. And that's the very thing I am not pushing this morning. I'm pushing the sufficiency of Christ. How faith leads to actions. And actions lead to show our gratitude to our Lord and Savior. James chapter 2, verses 17. Hebrew, uh, James chapter 2, and verses 17 and 18. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. All the things that we do from visiting the sick, to attending services, to singing songs, whatever we do should be designed for one thing, to show our gratitude and our love to our Savior and to our Creator. The Creator who sent His Son to this earth to die the horrible way that He died so that a lowly sinner like me can be reconciled to my Creator. It's, all, it's easy to say all day, I have faith. But if we say we have faith and we sit in our easy chair every day after work and we never talk to people about Jesus and we never spread the gospel and we never go visit people and everything, what does that say about our faith? Is there any proof in our life that there is any faith? Oh, we can say it all day long. I've said it before, I could say I'm an astrophysicist and a rocket scientist, but until I build the rocket and do all the other stuff, y'all aren't going to believe me. That's no, there's nothing there. There's no proof. Our faith, which produces actions, leads us to do the things that Christ has laid out as an example for us to follow, to love each other, to take care of each other, to love him, to study his word. All of those things are produced from faith, 
which causes our actions. But it does not, it does not save our soul. It does not add into the tally marks of good versus evil. Our actions should be purely motivated for our love and our care for Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, the gratitude. Because, see, salvation, again, does not come from us. It does not come from works. It comes from the blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood that he shed on Calvary for you and I. And that is only where our salvation lays. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. But Christ, being come, being come and a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to purifying the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's where our salvation lies, brothers and sisters, is in the precious blood of the Lamb. Because see, under the old law, we all know that they had to enter in. Every time they committed offense, they, in every year, they would have a sacrifice and they would roll their sins forward. But under the covenant of Jesus Christ, when he went, entered in once into the holy place, and he offered his blood in a tabernacle not made with hands, he paid the price for our sins. That is what God required was death for sin, and he paid that. And that blood stretched to the beginning of time all the way to the end of time. For those who were, who are, were his people, that blood is there for salvation. Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. Romans chapter 1, no, Romans 8 verse 1, excuse me. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You know, we read verses like that, and I wonder sometimes, do we really take that to heart when he says there's no condemnation? Now, again, I want to make it very clear that verses like that, being saved by grace, is one of them, or uh, uh, no condemnation in Christ or anything, that I'm not trying to say that there's once saved, always saved. That's not what I'm trying to say. But the fact is, it's kind of like D has one of it that, uh, that has this analogy. If the ocean is sin and the boat is Jesus Christ and we're a passenger on that boat and things get rough and we fall down, are we still on the boat? You bet we are. So how do we get off the boat? We have to walk over to the edge, crawl over the rail, and jump into the ocean, right? That's the easiest way I know how to explain continuing in Christ or his grace being fully sufficient and no condemnation under God. 
See, we can fall down on the, on the road of life, but that doesn't mean that we've walked away. But it also, because we are covered, does not give us the right to abuse God's grace. As he said in Romans, shall, I continue, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. The point is, a Christian life, when we want to uh, have the relationship with God, is a constant life of self-evaluation, self-study, study with others, and making sure that we're living the best example humanly possible to follow Christ. And although we will never be worthy of his blood, be thankful of his blood, and have faith in the power that it has in our lives and the ability that it has to change lives, to forgive sins and to reconcile mankind to their creator. You know, we have a lot of people that say, well, there's a lot of different ways of salvation. We're all on the same road going different places, which is really strange because we know that we can't go north on one road and south on the other and ever meet. We're going in opposite directions. But the fact is... Jesus said in uh, uh, John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He doesn't say, and oh, by the way, I need you to help me out because it's not sufficient enough. You have to have X amount of, of baptisms under your belt. You have to have X amount of sermons you preach. You have to have X amount of... That's not that. He said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And when we do that, our faith grows, and our actions follow our faith, which glorify Christ in our life. And his blood washes away our sins and allows us to be reconciled to God. But that's not the end of it. Not, not just the salvation of Christ, not just our faith, not our actions, but we have to continue to run a race here on this earth. And God never said it was going to be easy. But he did tell us he would run beside us, and it sometimes when we fell, he would carry us. We have to run the race. And you know, the fact is, we, we turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul makes a statement here that, I've always, I've wanted that confidence. And that's part of the reason I've been, I've been rummaging this around in my mind for so long is, is I want to be able to stand and say, I've done it. Not by my will, but, but, but by God's will. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. We all want that. And that kind of certainty comes from God's word and running the race, and doing what's right, and keeping our head in the game, and our feet on the path. And, and you know what? We are going to stumble. And we are going to fall, because everybody in here, which we wouldn't ask, but if everybody we ask in here, anybody we know that said, well, I don't have any sin in my life, we know that that's not true, right? Because we've talked about that earlier, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. But we have to fight the good fight. We have to fight through the ups and the downs and the sideways and everything else that life has to throw at us. We have to work at it. It's a job, but it's a glorious job because when we are close with our Creator, our life is always better. You know, it's better when, when brothers and sisters come over and they, show the, or they let the light of God reflect through them and they pray for you 
Or they say, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? We're here for you. That's fighting the good fight, people. We tend to a lot of times think, well, you know, we just sin, sin, we got to fight sin, we got to fight sin. But you know, fighting the good fight is helping others, helping ourselves, loving each other. That's running the race. That's showing your gratitude for Christ and what Him and God have done for us. First, let's, in, and let's all turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trying of your faith being much more precious than of gold, and perisheth it, that perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom, having not seen, ye loved. In whom, though now ye see him not, ye yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You know what? We will be kept by the power of God if we will just continue in his presence. If we'll follow him and run the race, Increase our faith, make sure that our faith is strong, and that faith leading to actions, the reflection of Christ, we're kept by the power of God. And that's a pretty powerful statement to say that my God is protecting me because that's the, the God that created the universe, that created every star and every planet or any sort of light when he said, let there be light. I don't know if you've ever watched many space documentaries, but that's a big place out there. And there's all sorts of neat things that show the creation of God. But they're all kept by Him. And if they are kept by Him, we also are when we follow after Him, and we are one of His created. We have to run the race. We have to love God, and we have to surrender ourselves to him and let him be in control. And trust me, I understand how hard that is because most of the time I say, God, I want you to be in my life. I want to have you in control. And then five minutes later go, well, I know I said that, but I think you need a little help. I'm going to help you out. He doesn't need our help. He needs our faith, our obedience, and our love for him in the actions that we do. We never want to, well, let me rephrase that. It's been a while since I've heard someone lay out the full gospel plan of salvation in its entirety. And that's what I want to do this morning because, see, we have to come in contact with that salvation in order to walk with God and to have a home in heaven with him. John chapter 3 and verse 18 John chapter 3 and verse 18, it says, He that believed on him 
He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know, first of all, we have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and we have to be willing to believe that he will do the things that he says, and we have to submit our minds to a greater authority. We have to submit to taking personal responsibility of the things we've done in our life. We have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Very simple steps. The next one is we must repent. Luke chapter 13 and verse 5. Luke chapter 13 and verse 5. He says, I, I tell you nay, except you, all like, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You know, we must believe, we must repent. Repent means to turn away. We can't be Christians and continue to live the selfish, self-fulfilling life that we lived before we were Christians. Or so, sometimes some of the things that are very appealing to us, the, the lust that draw us away and entice us. We have to repent of those things. We have to become a new person. We must confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And you know what? We're going to confess, confess whether we like it or not. We can confess on this earth and be his servant, or we can be obstinate in this life, but when we die and we stand before the Creator, we will bow. The staunchest atheist that hates God from the very bottom of his being will kneel to the ground when they face their Savior and say, you are Lord and you are Master and you are the Son of God. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It's better to bow and confess now than when it's too late. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We got to believe, we got to repent, and we got to confess. And you know the thing about it, any one of these scriptures that we've read so far, Somebody somewhere takes that as the only step of salvation, and that's not the truth. We have to have the full view of the gospel plan. We must confess. With the mouth, confession is made unto righteousness. That's where we get out in the open the things that we've done. We have to confess. And obviously, the next step is baptism. And that's, you know, in most everybody, other denominations, plan of salvation, they're right on board till this one right here. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, they said, Men and brethren, this is the first gospel sermon, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I don't know how you get around that not being important, because it is. It was mentioned in the very first gospel sermon that was recorded. They wanted to know what they had to do to be saved. It would have been very easy for Peter to say, I just believe. Just confess. Be a good person. But what did he say? He said, baptized for the remission of sins. Why is that? Because in baptism, it's not the water that saves us, but our answer of that good conscience in obeying him, confessing him, and walking into that water 
And when we are baptized in the likeness, that form of doctrine that we read about, that's where we contact the blood of Christ. And that's where we are cleansed from our sins and we start our walk with him. And then we must live a different life than what we lived before. Because we are a different creature, the Bible says. We are a different person. We are no longer sold under sin. We have a higher purpose. We are the child of God. And we need to act as so and live as so that all people would see Christ shining through us. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on a new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. See, we've got to be a different person. We can't come to Jesus and not sacrifice the sinful habits that we had before we were a Christian. We can't be Christians and expect to be saved and abuse his grace by continuing in sin. We can't do that. None of us like to be taken advantage of, do we? We don't like to be manipulated. We don't like to be controlled. We don't like to be told what to do or, or uh, be controlled by other people. We have to live a new life in submission to God. And that's very contrary to what we, what we have or the way that we are as Americans and especially in the state that we live in. But we have to be a new person. We can't be slave and subject to our desires. We have to be slave and subject to Jesus Christ. And the fact is we have to real, realize that our salvation comes not through our works, not through all the things that we do, but through the salvation of God and his gospel plan of salvation. That's all I have to, to say this morning. Like I said, I, I hope it was coherent enough and, and put together that you can say that, that you've been edified. Like I said, I've struggled with it for a while, and, and I, I really wanted it to come out in, the, in, in what I've been feeling in my, my heart and my thoughts, and I hope it's not. And if not, talk to me afterwards. I, I would appreciate that. But if there's one here that hasn't obeyed the gospel, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. And we got time. Nothing more that this congregation would enjoy than to watch a new member come into the fold. If you haven't been baptized, I urge you to now. We're not guaranteed that we have tomorrow. We're not guaranteed that I'm going to make it to the bottom of those steps before my heart explodes, or who knows. Don't put it off. We beg you, do it today. If there's anybody here that's struggling, wants the prayers of the church, whether it be with sin, and, you know, that's not what... We tend to think when people come forward that it's for sin, but sometimes people just need help and they need strength. If there's one of either class, we ask you to come as we stand and sing the song.